Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Welcome back to Jump Scare. I'm Betty. And I'm Shad. This week, we're covering The Blob, 1988. If it had a mind, you could reason with it. If it had a body, you could shoot it. If it had a heart, you could kill it. Now, man is no longer the supreme being on this planet. The organism is growing at a geometric rate. By all accounts, it's at least a thousand times its original mass. Nobody believes me about what happened tonight. What did happen? You were there, you saw. Plasmic life form that hunts its prey. Predator. I want that organism alive. I think you ticked it off. So we're continuing the Aliens of 88 that we've been doing for like the last two months or so. And with this film, we actually, this is the second time that we have recorded this because this is actually one of our first podcasts that we lost. It disappeared into the ether one day, never to be recovered. This film is a remake and it's a remake from a 1958 movie, same title, The Blob. And that movie is anniversary is 65 years. Yep. So this one was released almost 30 years to the day from the original, which is kind of hilarious that they came out so close to, you know, I mean, not close together, but all the same time frame, you know. It has a young, recognizable cast for those that were, you know, were alive at the time and after. <laughs> if you're, I don't know, not really that into 80s horror, you probably will not recognize this person. Maybe the only one would be Shawnee Smith because we have seen her in other horror films. So we have Shawnee Smith, who's playing Meg Penny. Kevin Dillon, who's playing Brian Flagg. Both characters named after Frank Darabont's love of things from Stephen King, as in Pennywise and Randall Flagg. Yes, and also he co-wrote this script with Chuck Russell, who directed the film, Chuck Russell. And you have Paul Donovan, um, Paul, who's uh, being played by the actor Donovan Letch Jr., uh, this is, I think, probably one of my, I have a lot of favorite films. This is definitely one of them. This is on the list of best remakes. Okay? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the, it's the, in the holy trinity of remakes, which is the blob, the fly, the thing. That's the holy trinity of remakes that whenever anybody says, well, not all remakes are bad. They always point to the blob, the thing, the fly. 
Because that's the best three that you can point to and say, yeah, those were good. I do want to say that we did have the pleasure of meeting Chuck Russell. Yes. And super nice. A darling. Yeah, it was at Popcorn Frights a few years ago. He brought his son with him, who was the first time his son had ever watched The Blob. Which is, like, mind-blowing. And uh, I'll tell this story now because it's been a while, but uh, when I got to meet him, I was telling him that I wished that, you know, they would release The Blob in a more commercial format because it was very hard to get a copy of it at the time. There was only the Twilight Time uh, Blu-ray was the only way to get it. And they only made 5,000 of those, and they went out of print almost immediately said, you know, because I had a copy on DVD, but not on Blu-ray. And he was kind enough to just reach in his bag and hand me a copy of it on Blu-ray and go, there you go. Enjoy. Coolest moment ever. Yeah, I was so not expecting that. I didn't even know what to say. I just said, thank you. And then he wandered off to do his thing at the movie. And uh, we're huge fans. So, Chuck, thank you very much um, for doing everything you've done. And supposedly... He's directing a remake of Witchboard, which we have covered that film, and we love that film. Um, (laughs) And uh, I'm very excited because, I mean, how how can it go wrong? I mean, I, I... I feel like it's in good hands with him. I'll be interested to see that. So this is a classic 80s film. Like classic horror, to me, classic horror 80s. In the in the whole like opening scene, also I, I, not to go back, but it is a classic because you have Frank Darabont like at the beginning, right? And you have Chuck Russell working together, did the screen, you know, wrote the screenplay for this film. Their previous movie was Nightmare on Elm Street Three, which is you know probably regarded as the best of the series, I think. And there's something about. I'm a big fan of character development and you get this in this film. Like, let me tell you, this film is like not at all like no holes bar, like fucking brutal. It's like, Oh, we're going to have like major character development for these characters. You have the sheriff, the waitress, the football player, you know, and, and I kind of, kind of jumped over, but I just, that for me makes the film. Because your heart is already in it and you already feel for these people that get, like, blobbed. They get killed in terrible ways. It's all just these little moments with everybody where you get a sense of who they are and what they want. And it just, it's very, it's very subtle, but you also get a lot of, like you said, character development from just little moments. And something else I was going to mention, too, is that uh, you've got people in here that would follow, you know, uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, who plays the sheriff in this he would follow frank darabont around after this the two of them worked in together everything all the way up until the walking dead and jeffrey demon was one of the ones that actually when darabont got fired off the walking dead said nope i'm gone too and had his character killed off because he's like if he's out i'm out too so he's worked with frank darabont a lot and you know it's just it's weird when you see people that stick together that much because you don't usually see that in hollywood you know no i mean the the loyalty is just out there but um, in a good way. But, you know, the opening scene to this is very reminiscent to Halloween, actually, in my opinion. You were seeing the streets of this small town, and it's quiet. Deserted. You know, it gives you the feeling it might be a ghost town. 
yes, totally you get that feeling. And you're thinking, what the heck could be going on? Like, where is everyone, right? And of course, because it is a small town, where would anyone be at this, At you know, during a Friday night or a Saturday night in a small town? They're going to be at the local football game. Yep, you they're know? all at the high school football game. Pretty much the entire town is there, I think, except for the sheriff and the woman that has to work at the diner. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, and yeah, she's prepping for them to come in when the, when it's all said and done for the crazy uh, rush. But you have that that wonderful, like, shot, you know, of, like, the street and the houses and, you know, the, the sheriff's, you know, department. All these different scenes that lead up to, you know, you start hearing, like, crowd, you know, cheering. And then you're like, oh, okay, everyone's at the football game. And that's where the character development starts. You have this young, strapping football player, you know, who's um, being a Paul, who's being played by Donovan, and he's you know, totally um, into the beautiful cheerleader, you know, and it's Shawnee Smith. And, um, you know, he's getting picked on by his fellow teammates because apparently... He's eyeing her instead of playing the game. Yeah, and he's obviously had some kind of crush because she's no longer dating like the other guy she was with. So she's totally open and he's like ready to swoop in, you know. And it's just... It, it's just so classic. I don't know. It just, it, it just so, it's such high school moments, you know, where it's just like nice and clean and just so cute. And he gets tackled and she, you know, he opens his eyes and she's hovering over to see he's okay. And then he asks her out. It's just such a great, you know, beginning to the movie. And that's where the character development starts. Boom, yeah. right there. And then you also cut back and forth. You're seeing, uh, Kevin Dillon's character, Brian Flagg, you're seeing him out working on his motorcycle, and then he's going to try and jump over a, a gorge in it, but doesn't quite work out for him. He ends up crashing it. Walking the bike away, and you see him meeting the Can Man, which is another homage to Stephen King, as from the Trash Can Man from The Stand. And, you know, he's the the poor, you know, homeless guy that's out in the woods. It's going to happen to uh, find the blob when it crashes. And it does not go well for him. Yeah, you have this character, um, you know, you have him in that killer clowns from outer space and Friday the 13th. It's it's always that old man that, you know, is, is the society has turned their heads away from this person. You know, no one's going to either believe them they're, or they're going to get caught up in something where it's not going to work out well for them. And, you know, it's just to have that character in there is just... I love him when he has the uh, the frying pans tied to his feet so he can smash the cans because this was back in the day when a lot of places required you to actually smash the cans flat before you brought them in which is a pain in the butt to do because that was when a, before a lot of the cans which you can tell that they probably hadn't done a lot of recycling for a while because once all every can was made out of aluminum they kind of quit doing that it was back when the cans used to be made out of other stuff that they had you, you had to smash them down flat so this city or town, wherever they had, is obviously not working with a lot of aluminum cans, or they were just, that was something they remembered from when they were kids, and just had him do it, not realizing it probably had changed since then. Now, to clarify, because we kind of jumped, you kind of jumped into this whole can thing, um, to clarify, the reason why this man is doing this is because you get money when you go to these places yep. and um, give them the cans. In New York, it used to be five cents a can because my dad used to actually do that. 
Um, but I don't remember him smashing the cans down. He would just bring the cans as is. But this is like mid, mid like 80s, like 85, oh, 86. 80s. It's 88. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm saying when my dad oh, okay. did it, not when it happened in the movie. Um, so that's my memory of that. But that's well, like... Part of the reason that for a while a lot of places made you smash them was because they used to do them by the pound. Mm. And they were afraid people would fill the cans with something. Like, you know, fill the cans full of, uh, you know, rocks or, you know, concrete, something to make the cans way more. So that's why a lot of times they made them dip. But then later they just started, you know, saying, ah, we can tell if the can's full because we're going to throw it in a crusher. If it doesn't crush, we know it wasn't your cheatiness. We see, you know, the sheriff, he's getting his meal before, you know, the rowdiness starts and the kids are out in the street. He's getting his meal at the local diner and, you know, he's trying to, you know, uh, he's very cordial to the waitress there and he's very friendly and he's like, you know, trying to get a date out of her and, um, you know, they end up, she, she slips him a little, her phone number says, you know, meet me back at 11 and, uh, he goes about his way. Um, and, you know, we have, you know, now it's time for the date, like, you know, we're going to have Paul. He's going to pick up Shawnee Smith. Well, and before, is, he oh, yeah, that, before he does that. Yeah, yeah. Before have... he does it, he's at the convenience store with his friend Scott. The, the pharmacy. The pharmacy. Oh, I'm so sorry. The pharmacy with his friend Scott. Because this is actually an urban legend of just called the pharmacist and the condoms. <laughs> and now, apparently, Darabont and Russell swore that they knew someone that this happened to. But this has been an urban legend you can look up in books going back for the last 50 years. Uh, I looked into this because uh, one time for some urban legends I was doing for a paper in college. And it goes clear back to a Dear Abby, like in the late 60s, I think. Like Dear Abby did a letter about it. So it's been around for a while. But it's where the guy goes in and, you know, he gets condoms. And then later that night finds out, oh, no, he bought condoms from the father of the girl he's going on the date with. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and it really fucked Paul in this um, thing because Scott, who we later find out is, I mean, is a fucking douchebag. Scott is trying to buy the condoms. And when the reverend comes up behind him he kind of backtracks and Paul's on the opposite side of the store just reading a magazine and he just throws the blame on him. Oh, you know, it's for my friend back there. He just, he, he's really into, and, and he meant that what he says is just totally wrong. Like, she's naive and, you know, like he's going to take advantage of her and she, this, this girl doesn't know any better. So he, he's getting the condoms to like take advantage. And... I'm just like mind like, blown. I'm gonna insist that he use condoms because uh, I don't want him to get this poor girl pregnant after he takes advantage of her. And you know, and then And then Paul is not he's not making it any better because he's been there waiting for his friend for God knows how long. He's impatient. He's like, Can you hurry up? I'm trying to get to my date. This girl is not gonna wait forever or whatever. And the pharmacist is like, God, what a fucking asshole. Cut to he's at the door. And who's opening the door? Like, who's there? It's the fucking pharmacist. He's the dad. And <laughs> he's, he's pissed. Not he's he's not. Not. I love it. He just has the great line where he just looks at him and goes, ribbed. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed to be a running joke through the late 80s, early 90s about the ribbed condoms. You even had that in Wayne's World where they find the condoms in uh, Rob Lowe's desk. And they're like, ew, ribbed. <laughs> I can't. 
Now, Scott... Oh, let me butt in for a second here. The Reverend Meeker is played by an actor named Del Close, who was actually in a sequel to The Blob called Son of the Blob, where he played the eye-patched hobo. So he's the only one in this movie who's actually been in more than one Blob movie. And he's also a writer. He wrote a comic book series in the uh, late 80s called Outland. It was a series of like short horror stories in each one, which they do... Uh, there was a series of ads for a long time like promoting the book and it said outland and it had like a snow globe with a small like a town scene inside of it like as you were looking at it and there's a scene in this where shawnee smith is looking at a snow globe and kind of shaking it and the snow is going and that's a very reminiscent of the ad for his comic and uh, i just thought that was neat that you know he he's the only one in here that's actually been in more than one blob movie yeah uh, Scott is going on a date with Vicky, and Vicky's played by the lovely Erica Elenak, who later went on to be like what playmate of the yeah she was a playmate year. she was in Baywatch she was on she was on things she's also the girl that uh, Elliot throws the kid on the ground and stands on his back so he can kiss her in E. T. Oh yes, so here we have you know they're on the it's the classic parked you know in the field parked at the you know drive-in it's they're They're parked they're parked they're at make out point make out point exactly and this fucking guy and i and i I feel like i rarely ever cuss on the podcast but this guy I, i i feel that way um i'm giving getting a look from chat that i'm just a sailor and i'm cussing all 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 around uh this guy he has okay in his trunk a makeshift bar, okay? Not only does he have a makeshift bar, he also has roofies, <laughs> which I'm not laughing at the roofie thing. It's just so fucking unbelievable. And he has a plethora, a little a little treasure chest of class rings. Like, because even in the 80s, which that was like a huge thing in the 80s, a lot of 80s films always heart back. It was like in style 50s things were in style in the 80s so like clothing and like you know the the varsity jackets and the rings that was still something you gotta that, give that give your girl your class ring to wear around so that she really knows you care he's got a whole box of them in there a whole which box means he just gives these things out like candy to everyone that he unfortunately roofies yeah while that's all happening here we have the blob just uh, you know, creeping its way through because it you crashed earlier and it's just been creeping through, doing its thing. It's already attached itself to the old man and who unfortunately runs out into the street when he sees uh he sees Flag, he runs out into the street and Flag follows him, only for the him to be you know, the old man gets hit by a uh, the car that just happens to be driven by uh Paul, Paul and, and Meg. Meg. So they all take him to the hospital and now, this is where you see the first really gruesome kill of the movie is when, surprise, in a turn of events that, you know, hadn't happened since Psycho, the person you thought was going to be the main character of the show turns out to get killed by the blob immediately. Yeah, that, I love Paul. Like, I'm like, I hope, I, when I first saw this, I was devastated. Because I was like, oh man, I, I thought it was going to be a trio. I thought it was going to be, you know... Uh, Meg, Paul, and, you know, the outsider, the guy that everyone, you know, dislikes. That's the, that's the classic 80s theme. Yes. And that, you know, Paul's going to end up with the girl, 
and Flag and him are going to end up, you know, they're from the wrong side of the tracks, but they're going to find common ground and become friends by the end of it. Yes. They're going to, it's, it's the buddy cop movie where there's the outsider rebel and the guy who follows the rules and they're going to become friends at the end and it's all going to be fine. Nope. Unfortunately, Paul was a nice guy who finished last. He really gets it. And let me tell you, practical effects in this film are mega amazing okay yeah tony gardner did a lot of the effects for this and he they went all out with it like the stuff in this holds up to this day i mean the the only thing i'll say is there's a couple of times where you look at it and you go oh i see what they're doing there but it still looks good yeah none of the effects look bad you just high definition you can see where they're doing some of the stuff a little better you know because I remember seeing it in the theaters, and when it's on the big screen, it looks a lot different than it does when it's on HD here, and you're they're kind of looking at it up close. Yeah, I think, and when I meant the practical effects, the makeup of the kills on the people oh, yeah. look fantastic. But, unfortunately, yes, what you're saying I agree with. When they show the blob move, when they show things where the blob is like, you know, in transit... Or when it came down from the sky, you can totally... It doesn't look good. It looks dated. You know, it's not like the thing where that shit still looks shit hot to this day, you know. Or like the fly. Like, that still looks good. It's not that it looks bad, but... You can see how they're doing it. Yeah, you can totally see how they're doing it. And it's not flawless. But this it's because it's such a short amount of time that they're showing like the blob move and stuff like that i don't really care about that so much it's about the practical effects when it comes to like the makeup and the people being totally devoured you know by the blob where it's like wow it looks fantastic yeah the blob moving scenes as you can tell a lot of it is they're putting like uh, like a miniature and they're filming a miniature in front of like what's already been actors that have already been filmed and moving it up a little bit. It looks good still, but like I said, at the time it looked amazing and you, you were kind of hard pressed to figure out oh, how did they do that? But now, like I said, when you're looking at it up close and when you see this on a bigger screen when it's on like 35 millimeter, it looks a lot different too. Yeah. And you don't see a lot of the flaws in it. But like I said, when you're sitting, you know, five feet from it in your house on an HD TV, you can see a little bit of the flaws, but it still holds up pretty well. Yeah, you you get so like so many people get killed in this movie. <laughs> and you always think that like it's gonna be this guy's not gonna you know, this guy's gonna survive. You know, you thought that for sure that the sheriff was gonna make it at least a little further than he did. Mm. But unfortunately, you know, after the, the blob kills uh uh Paul, she goes looking for Flag because Flag immediately ran off because he's like, look, I'm not staying around at the hospital to hang out with you guys. I don't really like you, and they don't really seem to care about the old guy, so why am I going to hang around here? He leaves. They have to go. The police find him. After all they find of poor Paul was his arm, like his forearm and his hand. Because she, Shawnee Smith, he was reaching out for help. That was the only thing that the blob had not completely covered, and because it had the rest of his body, it got severed because she was pulling on it. So it was the only body part that was left. Um, and, you know, the whole thing with Flag running away 
we find out at the beginning of the film that he's about to turn like 18 and he you know his number's up like he's been in done you know not juvie but he's gotten in trouble so many times but it's like back in the day it was like you just got the slap in the wrist you know because you were a minor but yeah. then forget it once you turn 18 it's the big house for you like you you can't you can't be doing any crazy stuff so he's like I, I, all my chances are done i can't be yeah i'm out of here hanging around but of course you know they accuse him of murder because he's the bad kid and they ought you know they're well, obviously the, like the deputy accuses him of murder even yeah. the sheriff is like he's kind of an asshole but he's not a murderer that would do anything like this and that's one of the greatest scenes i love in this the deputy is played by an actor named paul mccrane who you would know from the unfortunately toxic waste dumped criminal in robocop who got melted and he would later go on to be an er for like 10 years he was the doctor on that that also met a horrible death. He got his arm chopped off by a helicopter in one season and then crushed by a falling helicopter in another one. Yeah, he, he couldn't catch a break. Yeah, he's got, uh, you know, Brian. They've got him handcuffed to a chair. Brian says, you know, get out of my face. And he's like, oh, I'm in your face now. I'm in your face now. What are you going to do? And he leans real close and he, <laughs> Brian just licks him. <laughs> it's like, oh, I did not see that one coming. And, you know, back at the diner, you have, you know, Shawnee Smith meets with with Flag because uh, he's trying to get a sandwich and she no one believes her. You know, she's trying to she, Flag was there. He saw a little bit of what happened. But of course, he's like, I don't want to have anything to do with that crap. So just leave me out of it. You know, and that's where it's like, well, well here comes the fucking blob gets the poor guy that was just trying to do you know the waitress a fucking solid because she, she was trying to unclog the damn sink and george is the character's name and george gets it let me tell you george getting it so george gets it and you see that he gets sucked into the sink which i'm telling you this sinkhole is even though it is a commercial sink it's still small. It's not big enough to fit a whole effing body through it. It's like it. two inches, two, maybe three inches around. But this blob just melts this guy and pulls him through the pipe. And it looks fantastic. And when the waitress comes in, she, all she sees is one foot getting like up in the air. And it's like fucking shaking and shit. It's They see it and they're like, oh, fuck no. And everybody goes to get out of there. But at that point, the blob is shooting itself out of the sink and chasing them. And this is where you get the first clue for the weakness for the blob is... The poor waitress, if she had just stuck with with Flag and Meg, she would have been okay. Flag and Meg run, and they go hide in the freezer. Uh, the waitress, I forget her name, she runs outside trying to get away, and she goes to the phone booth because, of course, it's 1988 and no one had a cell phone. So she's trying to call the sheriff, which I love that she's calling the station instead of calling 911. She calls the actual number for the station, like... There's because a, that's a card that he left, and he left he left her his card, so that was like his number to like his desk or whatever. Still, so she's calling for his is help. Faster to dial than I bet you they can get to him. But faster. he's nine one one, so in her mind, she's yeah. like, I'm calling him. I get what you're saying. She could have done one on one, which is I did. I did have that 
that uh that issue with it i was just like why didn't she dial it but in so, my yeah. mind i'm rationalizing that's that's why she did that and also she's not fucking thinking straight she just saw some crazy shit and then the blob just her name is fran oh fran she covers the blob just starts like dropping down on top of the phone booth and just covers the whole phone booth she's able to hold it off for a second and she's still trying to like the phone is still hanging there and she's yelling for herb herb help all this and that's when you see Herb's disembodied head just floating around inside the blob and realize, oh, he did come to the diner to help and it killed him out front. Yeah. He didn't have any more luck than she did. So sad. And, and I mean, personally, I'm devastated. Yeah, that's it's... when the blob just busted the phone booth and gets her. Now, Flag and Meg ran into the freezer and that's where he discovered the blob can't deal with cold. Because when it puts this little blob body under the door, it just instantly freezes. And leaves little blob cubicles behind, little blob sickles behind that they just leave and are like, okay, that was weird. I wonder why it didn't follow us in here. Which will be followed up with later when Reverend Meeker, he sees the blob leaving. He sees Meg and Flag leaving. Mind you, he's been drinking this whole time. Like, he has a flask of liquor. Like he's oh, no, just... he's got a full-on bottle at this point. Oh, at this point, yes, but earlier he had a flag. So he had been drinking for God knows how long. He sees this, he drops his bottle and is like, well, I guess I better see what's going on over here. He goes in and he picks up all the little blobsicles and puts them in a jar and seals it, an airtight jar. That'll come in handy later. Dot, dot, dot. What's your favorite uh, scene or what's your favorite scene in the film or kill? Uh, I think my favorite kill is a little later. I know we kind of stopped our blow by blow here, but my favorite kill later is when the blob is in the movie theater. And it gets a few people in there. You have the poor guy running the projector who puts his head up into the vent to see what might be clogging the vent and making it so hot. And the blob just lands on his head. The movie theater manager goes in to see what's going on. And the blob has spread itself out across the entire ceiling and is just melting that guy slowly inside of him. Yeah. You just see he looks like pizza is being just... Yeah. He looks like a pizza man. And that whole, like, scene where everyone's running out is like an homage to, to the, the first movie. Yeah, to the first blob where that happened. And then, of course, everybody's had that guy in the movie theater that just talks and won't shut up and ruins the movie for everyone. So when he's sitting there just talking and talking, and then the blob throws a tentacle down, pulls him up out of there, rips his face off, you're like, yep, that's what should happen to that guy. I'm fine with that. So I like that one a lot, too. Yeah, I do like that. And I have to say, there's not a lot of... There's not a lot of um, horror movies that have iconic places to go to. And that theater, just a colonial theater, is a real theater. And they celebrate Blob Fest during the summer where everyone around that just loves a Blob and or horror movies that wants to experience, they do all come running out. And, you know, they're, they have tons of events and things and they show, you know, movies in the theater and it's fantastic. I mean, I just, I can't wait to go, but it's one of those few movies that have something like super cool that you can do that happens once a year. Yeah. Um, so, and that's for the original, the 58 blog. I think they alternate. I think they might show the original or the remake sometimes too. No, 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 no. I'm saying the Colonial Theater oh, yeah, itself yeah. was shown in the 58, not in the 88, because yeah. that was like all just a set, right? 
um, for the most part. That wasn't an actual theater. No, it was an actual theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just in, it was in a different town. They filmed this somewhere in Louisiana, I believe. Yeah, well, I guess they, they're like, well, this is the first one, so this one is the one that matters. Well, it because the theater itself is, like, historical. It's, yeah. like, a super, you know, old theater. It's gorgeous in there when you look at the photos. Um, my favorite kill... There's just actually so many of them. Um, I would have to say... I'm not going to say it's my favorite, but I think the one that's justified is freaking Scott. Okay? Because we kind of just skipped over that whole thing. So Scott, he, you know, sees... um, the girl sleeping and when you know oh, the yeah. makeup point and she's kind of like falling asleep because he's been like making drinks like strong rum drinks the whole night god knows how many she's had and her shirt's kind of like unbuttoned a little bit you know not to be like hey my shirt's unbuttoned like you have permission to go in there that was just like the way that she had dressed yeah and you know sh- he just goes in for He's like, oh, she's sleeping. This is the best time to start fondling her. Because, you know, (laughs) I'm already a fucking douchebag. Let me take it to the second level. Yeah, and the blob gets him. So that's my favorite kill. Um, That's my justified kill. Um, Yeah, he had that coming. He totally had that coming. Um, Unfortunately, that means that she gets it. Because the blob already had taken, like, X amount part of her body, you know. So... When he goes to put his hand in her boob, it's like the blob was already like you know yeah he comes out with the blob. <laughs> and this is also you've got uh, Meg's uh, younger brother sneaking out to see the horror movie at the uh, theater there, which is the uh, Garden Tool Massacre. And this is one of the few movies where they actually you know murder a kid in it. Yeah, you know her brother's friend that's with them. Uh, they get down in the sewer to try to get away from the blob at one point, and he doesn't make it. He gets he, blobbed. Yep, he gets blobbed hard. Like, he gets another gruesome, horrible death. It this And, you know, another, like, another thing with this film that you see in a lot of these 80s films is, like, the kids and the te- or the teenagers have to save the day. They f- see some shit and then go and tell the you know the the parents or the authorities, the, the you know the adults in the situation. And at first they don't fucking believe them. They gaff them off, you know, they get angry with them and then oh lo and behold shit, this is really happening, you know, and the kids have to save the day. But I what I have to say about this film that stands apart from I would say all of them uh, for most others is that the hero in this film is actually Shawnee Smith. Yeah. Meg is the hero. And that's not something you would see in an 80s film, 80s horror, where, you yeah, know. Yeah, you see in the slasher movies, there was, there was the one final girl. That was it. The rest of them all got viciously murdered. And she kind of is a final girl in this, but a little different way. Because she doesn't really make a lot of the stupid horror movie mistakes in this. She doesn't. She's a badass. Yeah, she's the first one to grab, like at one point when the blob is causing shit, she just grabs an M16 off a dead soldier and just starts shooting at it. She figures out how to work a bomb at one point because she watched one of the soldiers do it. So it's like, yeah, okay, she's, she's paying attention. She's helping out. And the other thing is that she's a cheerleader. So 
you know, she's already, and they do have that, like, that monologue or that dialogue, I should say, in the film where it's like, you know, I'm the, you're a cheerleader and I'm like the freaking bad guy, whatever. The looked yeah, upon. She said, she said a cuss word and he was like, oh, you actually cussed. What was that like? Was it your first time? Yeah, so yeah. she's already looked out. She's like, you know, you all think, oh, the cheerleaders are dumb, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, she wasn't. That would be my question for uh, Mr. Darebon and uh, Mr. Russell is when they were writing the script, when did they decide that she would be the one to put forth action and be the one to bring the blob down? Because it is... She's not solely doing it herself, but she takes the initiative. She's the one that brings it to, to you know, Kevin Dillon's character, um, uh, Flag. She's the one that does all the things you mentioned. He's there to assist, but he's not the driving force of it all. Yeah, you he know? plays his part. Like, he does things to find out, like, what's going on. He's the one that finds out that the blob is not like a uh, an accident that came from space. Yeah. That it was a biological weapon that they were developing that crashed and is causing all these problems. And that the military who shows up at one point to try and help, they could care less about the town. They just consider the town expendable. All the citizens can die as long as they're able to contain that blob because they want to use it as a weapon. Because they figure, okay, if we can drop this thing in Russia then it can just, that's the end of the, you know, the Cold War. We've got it won if we can drop this on another country and just eradicate it. I have to say that I give this film uh, four knives. Yeah. I'm giving it all the knives um, because it's dear to my heart. I think it still looks, for the most part, great. Um, I really enjoy the character development and I appreciate it because I, I want to feel something for the people. I don't want it to be a body count kind yeah. of thing where it's just like, I don't care about these people. No one in this movie felt like it was just a disposable character. No. You felt for all of them. Even the, the deputy, the asshole deputy that was kind of a dick to flag earlier, when push came to shove and the military was being a dick to him, he defended him and was like, hey, he may be a punk, but he has rights. You can't just shoot him in the street like this. You know, he stepped up to like defend him, and it's like, hey, this is not right. You you can't do this. Because, yeah, he may have not liked him, but like he said, you know, he's not doing anything illegal. You can't just shoot him for standing here and trying to tell people the truth. And, you know, there's another character in this that we didn't mention. It's a, uh, one of the first roles for Bill Mosley. plays one of the uh, military guys that helps him out in the sewer a little bit. And the uh, another one we forgot to mention was the doctor at the hospital is an actor named Jack Nance. He would go on to be in Twin Peaks. He's the one that finds Laura Palmer at the very beginning. and has the famous line about, she's dead, wrapped in plastic, that you saw and everything. So oh, there's are, a tons of character uh, actors in this film. Yeah, almost everyone in this movie is someone you'll recognize from tons of other movies. Yeah, and they all do great work. Yeah. And... Yeah, this is a four knifer for me as well. It's 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 a perfect movie. I love it a lot. And the ending of it is to me one of the perfect endings. It sets up a great sequel. We we never got a sequel, but it sets it up great because you have Reverend Meeker who's out there and he's in a old fashioned tent revival and he's preaching fire and brimstone. The world is gonna end, the judgment day is coming, and afterwards a woman comes to him and is like, Well, when is the judgment day coming? And he's like, soon, 
the Lord will send me a sign. And he takes the little jar out that you saw earlier, the, the airtight jar, and the little blob sickles have thawed out, and the blob is just thrashing around inside the jar. It's tiny right now because it hasn't had anything to eat, but as soon as he opens the jar, this whole thing starts all over again. Which is like, where was he in the conversation that this was a man-made thing and not fucking something that came from the sky so it wasn't like a biblical thing? Like, oh, God is put upon the apocalypse upon us. You know, it's like, where, where was he? I he was probably passed out. I like, think we've all seen by now that those people are not going to listen to reason. That's actually very true. Okay, if fine. he If he heard and saw all that, he'd be like, hmm, I'm pretty sure Biden put this here. Uh, stop stop no no none of that at the podcast okay we're in 1988 right now we are not in 2023 i can't back at that that time he would have been like uh who would have been the reagan no dukakis did it he was the like democratic challenger at the time he would have been like oh yeah michael dukakis did it or whoever i don't remember the other democratic guy but it been some. It been some Democrat. He blamed it on. Been like, oh, it's those godless Democrats. Oh my goodness! Stop it. Anywho, thank you for joining us. Is this our last Aliens of '88 film? I believe it is. I we, feel like we had one more. Well, we had the Killer Clowns. They live, and we had this Phantasm. Phantasm. Yeah. So this is it. This is the last one. What a f- like fun ride it was 88 came out with some great horror oh yeah it was a good time for horror i have to say it was a good year probably the last good year for horror before scream came into (laughs) i I, i'm I'm gonna stand very very firm on that on that opinion yeah 89 i'm trying to think i can't think of a lot of stuff that popped out in 89 that was I'm not seeing that there weren't gems that came out, but it wasn't like how now we can look back because at the time, just like the movies that we love, there weren't a lot of movies. These movies weren't ones that were like blowing the fucking box office well, off the lid. Like said, this is a year like where you've had four movies, you have four great horror movies this year that we covered just because they were all involved aliens. Yeah. There's also other things I know. Night Around Elm Street 4 came out this year. Um, but, uh, okay. Some other things came out. I, I can't think of them all the time, but yeah. there was a lot that came out this year. This is like 1982, when besides you had, in the same month, you had The Thing and Blade Runner come out. You also had other, you know, classic movies come out, like Star Trek Two, E.T., yeah. uh, Conan the Barbarian. All these movies all came out within like three months of each other in a summer in 82. And you're like, how did this many good things come out in one year? But see, at that time, though, they didn't I appreciate think the only them. thing that was appreciated was E.T. Everything yeah. else was like, eh. It wasn't like box office. Like people were just like loving it so much. It, they had to, the time, they had to take time to appreciate it. Just like these films. And they're highly appreciated by, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, you know. Um, because they're... I don't want to say cult classics, but they're classics. They started out as cult classics and then just moved into classic territory. You know, it's like when you, for a while, the only people that knew about the blog were people who were watching VHS copies of it because it hadn't even made the transition to DVD for a long time. Yeah. So there's a lot of these ones, you know, they start off things like The Thing and that sort of thing where like the horror fans really appreciate it, but not a lot of other people do. But then it slowly moves into more mainstream acceptance to where it goes from being a cult classic to just... A classic. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing that you'll see 
you know, you'll still see it at midnight screenings, but they're going to be packed midnight screenings. They're not going to be like 20 people show up to see it every night and then it slowly builds up. They're already going to be a built-in audience for these now. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Jump Scare, the horror podcast. Stay tuned to the horror. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.